Welcome to the Ladies Who Launch. Join Alyssa and Dakota every other Wednesday as we launch conversations about the chaos that is life. Tune in every other Wednesday and don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. How are you today? Welcome to Ladies Who Launch. We're back again. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, good week. It has been a good week. So far. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, good headspace this week. You know, as we were yeah. talking about, it's been up and down as with everybody, but it's good headspace this week. How about you? Yeah, really positive headspace this week. Just um, kind of a quieter week, which which hasn't been the norm for me since, um, you know, for the last couple months, um, I've been really blessed and lucky to be super busy, but I have to say this week, I finally just was able to enjoy every single task that I was doing, take my time, uh, really focus and be present. Um, I've been getting some good runs in. I've been cooking a lot. The only thing that's been bugging me is my sourdough bread is not working. (laughs) You should, uh, you should take it normally. You should get tips from Julie Van Rosenthal. Have you seen all the sourdough that she's been producing? And she's giving them to um, Gravity Cafe to give away for free. Her, her sourdough starter is crazy. It's like they're just like bubbling out of the containers. It's insane. My starter is awesome. Like it's usually ready to go within three days. And then I do the rise and fall for six to seven. And then by day five, it just like dies. I think it's too cold in my apartment. So I'm really jacked for when I move into my old care my old house that it'll be like hotter um because i'll be like surrounded by sunlight constantly it's got a lot more windows so i'm hoping that that will help but maybe yeah maybe i should throw her a message and be like hey man can i grab some starter (laughs) (laughs) yeah well you know sourdough is especially starters is tough and i mean it seems everybody on instagram right now is working on their sourdough starters and i think there is a trick to it but i think once you get it it seems mm-hmm. to be. Well, I have, I have gotten it before, but the one that I had before, I totally let it die, and because I just was busy and didn't make much bread. And, there, and then the, uh, again, there's only me too, right? So like, there's only so much bread I can eat. Anyways, regardless, my this one starter just is not working out for me. But yeah, I'll have to take a look. That's like uh, that <laughs> is that is that is COVID twenty twenty in a nutshell is sourdough yeah. starter. Anyway. Uh, well, we actually have an awesome guest this week, and uh, we are super excited to have her because she's one of those people that we've both followed and followed her career and followed her her success. She's a great Calgary success story, entrepreneur, woman, all those awesome things. And um, she actually reached out to us, which is like gives me a bit of like goosebumps that we actually had somebody who wanted to be on this podcast. It's so exciting. Anyway, we're welcoming um, Amber Romaniak. Um, this morning, and she's an emotional eating, digestive, and hormone expert who helps professional women achieve option, optimal health through mindful eating, self care, and overcoming self sabotage with food, which is amazing. And she overcame her own emotional eating journey after gaining and losing more than a thousand pounds, which we're going to ask her about because that's amazing. And also insane, and spending over fifty thousand dollars on binge foods, and spending five years balancing her hormones and digestion, which is also really interesting. But now she helps others achieve body freedom, which is her program, so they have confidence and health to create amazing lives. So, welcome, Amber. We are so happy, so happy to have you on Ladies Who Launch today. Well, thank oh. you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. So. As we said, we've been following you and you're such a huge proponent of um, women and women entrepreneurs and obviously health and body positivity and sort of all those sorts of things. But tell us a little bit about this body freedom and how this all came to be, because your story is really interesting in itself. Yeah. And so the body freedom focus itself or what's kind of come to be my signature program really evolved, you know, after overcoming my own food addiction and and going through my own journey, which I'll be happy to share more about. Um, But when I started working with my clients and I've had my business now for about seven years, which is hard to believe it's already been, um, I really started to understand 
what I'm trying to support women with is gaining freedom and not only from, you know, food sabotage, but also self-sabotage with your body. Um, not only from an emotional standpoint, but also from a physical standpoint. So to me, the epitome of body freedom is really about exploring some key different areas of ourselves, including our mindset, because our mindset dictates largely our thoughts, beliefs, habits, and the way we behave with food and our bodies, which then impacts our health. And so then we have things like inflammation, hormones, digestion, blood sugar, and cravings. Um, And then we also have the spectrum of emotional eating. A lot of women have different levels of emotional relationships with food, um, which I can, you know, get into some of the different kind of phases of emotional eating that I see people in because a lot of women don't even know they're doing it. Um, and then there's this aspect of back to kind of the mindset piece, you know, a lot of women will overbook their schedules or just like overextend themselves, whether they're a people pleaser. And so they feel the need to take care of everything and everyone else. And then they have nothing left for themselves or perfectionism and where those, you know, mindsets to want to be and do it all for everyone else. And then you're depleted come from that like lower state of insecurity, not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy. And so we tie that all into, you know, getting it from other people, getting validation from others and happiness and why oh, I'm good enough because, you know, they said I did a good job instead of finding that within ourselves. And so that really, you know, for me embodies that body freedom and building self-love and having, having optimal health and, you know, balancing your hormone and digestive issues and anything else that's going on. Um, and as women do this, they gain freedom and they live a bigger life. They live a fuller life and they then they're excited to grow and continue to deepen their relationship with self and do their deeper work. So I feel like sometimes when we're starting a journey and we're struggling, we're going, oh, nothing goes my way. And why is this happening to me? This sucks. Like the world's out to get me. But it's all our limiting beliefs. And as you go and you shift out of all of that, you start to see it as a gift. And then regardless of what comes your way, you're going, wow, there's something here for me. I'm I, I'm curious to get into this. I'm excited to see you know, what their learnings are for me, whether you get a symptom or it's something emotional or, you know, something in your environment changes. And so that's what I really love to get women to is that place where they're so aware and in tune of their bodies. They know how to listen to their bodies. They know what they need. And now they're making themselves the priority instead of, again, because they filled their void instead of going out and, you know, depleting because they're overgiving to everyone else. There's that balance. That's really cool. I know that Um, for me personally, I was really, really excited to have you on today specifically because I've struggled with weight loss and weight gain and my relationship with food for 10 years. And it's kind of sucks because I'm Italian and Greek. I grew up in, um, my one grandma's from Greece. So I grew up, you know, for most of my life in a very Greek household where food and wine were were how we brought people together. So I was brought up very much around that kind of mindset and that lifestyle, um, that food and what like, and wine too, but food was meant to be like a gift and a way of sharing experiences with people. I also have chefs in my family and I really enjoy cooking. Um, and I've always enjoyed cooking. So for me, like food is like my love language. So when I started to have a really unhealthy relationship with it around 10 years ago, and it stemmed out of a bad relationship, honestly. Mm-hmm. And then I got into another relationship that also wasn't the greatest. And for some reason, that issue reared its ugly head again. I yo-yoed like crazy. And that has resulted in like loose skin that I don't really love or like stretch marks that I don't really love. And like, I love myself a lot. I've done a lot of work with myself. So that stuff doesn't really bother me anymore. I kind of look at it and I I kind of think of it as like, well, this, this is a badge of learning. Um, but I still struggle. And you know, when I, when I get sad or bored or like, I feel like I need to reward myself, I always turn to food and yeah, it's a struggle. And I've been, I've been 96 pounds. I've been like, which was not good. I've, you know, I've been over 170 right now. I'm probably in the 160 realm, which, and I'm perfectly happy and fine with my body, but I'm also like basically five, nothing. I'm very short. So it really shows on me. Right. And my biggest struggle right now is like nothing in my closet is really fitting me. And so I just feel like I can't like get up and get dressed in the clothes that I really love. That's been a struggle for me for probably the last three years. Um, and then I also excessively exercise too when I feel bad about how much I've eaten. So 
that's kind of my story in a nutshell. And I, I feel like that's like client um, X for you probably. Um, but yeah, like, is it only women that, that really deal with this? Like obviously men have to deal with it too. I know your focus is probably mostly on women, but like, do you work with any men at all? And like, do men kind of go through this as well? Or is it really specific to women a lot of the time emotionally? I find it's really targeted toward women. And yes, there are men that deal with it too. Um, it can, it's around 35, 40% of the male population that can experience some level of this. Um, but it's 90% of the female population. 90? Yeah. Nine, zero, 90. Um, and it's now starting as young as five little girls are going on diets because they have access to social media and they're seeing all these photoshopped altered images or like, I, I respect, you know, women, if they feel the need to get some form of plastic surgery, however, when someone alters their body to the state where they don't even look human anymore, like that's just concerning to me. And I'm thinking younger generations are looking up to the Kylie Jenner's of the world and going, Oh, I'm in order to be popular and rich and like have everything I want to have to look like her or the, um, you know, you have the Snapchats and all the filters and like, it's not real. And we're getting programmed to go like, I can't go on Instagram or like go out of the house unless I have a filter or my like full face of makeup. And it's not that, you know, you have, you have to be natural. Like I'm all for the full face of makeup and not, but when someone takes their phone and puts, takes a picture of themselves with a Snapchat filter and then goes to a surgeon and says, I want to look like this, that is seriously concerning. Or that little girl is going, well, if I want to look like that, you know, I better start restricting or go on this diet or this, this person I idolize is doing this. So I should do it too. Like we're so open, like between age zero to seven, your subconscious mind is fully open and you take everything in. So all the patterning and habits and beliefs and thoughts largely that you have even to this day, unless you've done a deep level of work to shift it is your inherited programming from that age. And so I also think that for women, it's, it's almost like you just wake up one day and realize how conditioned you've been by the media and magazines and movies and celebrities and music and all this stuff. And it's not their fault but it's been so like slammed down our throat. If you know what I mean? Like you don't, they're not teaching us in school to go, Hey, here's a real photo. Here's what Photoshopping is. Here's what it looks like. And now, you know, so that when you're looking through a magazine, if you all of a sudden like see a picture of someone and, and then you start to compare and, and start to beat yourself up and that triggers you want to want to go and restrict or starve yourself, you can go, actually that has been Photoshopped. That's not real. Therefore, like, I'm not going to give my power away to it. Like, why aren't we learning this in school? Right. Because they don't want us to, they want women, you know, to give their power away, to fight with our bodies, to be unhappy with our weight, to then diet and restrict and over-exercise and go kill ourselves in the gym. Because at some point or another, we lose faith, faith, hope, and trust in ourselves that we can do it. And when we get to this like foundation of desperation and fear of losing control with our bodies, we're vulnerable. And that's when we pull out our credit card, go online and Google quickest ways to lose weight. And then we buy that quick fix program. We, you know, buy into that diet or buy all those diet cookbooks or those fad, you know, all the fad eating styles going on, or we invest in something that we wouldn't if we were in our power and went, you know, I'm struggling. However, I'm not going to let desperation make a decision for me, but again, and I know it's shifting now, but 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, 25 years ago when I was a child and growing up, you just assumed like, this is the way it is. And then same with like, you know, bullying, like my first defining moment was I was five on the school bus my first day and the older boys called me fat and ugly. And I believed it because I didn't know any better. And I'm like, they're strangers. They must believe it. And I also feel like because of, you know, certain like sex idols and like celebrities and, and the way that they were, you know, brought to such big fame, then it, it honestly just does put this pressure on us. And if men think that this is what women need to look like, you know, to be of appeal or whatever, like there has been such a level of conditioning. I remember when I lost a lot of weight, when I was in restriction before my food addiction really exploded and I was getting a lot of attention from men and obviously it was very superficial because I was very superficial at the time. But the irony is, is once I gained 50 or 60 pounds, none of them wanted to have anything to do with me. And it's not their fault or mine, but it's the programming that has been like so deeply embedded within us. And I hope that makes sense, but 
it's so, and it's so easily accessible, especially now, not only with all the stuff like on TV and, and in magazines, but with social media. Right. And so to be able to understand that when we're out of our power, it's far more difficult for us to cope with situations that are going on in our lives, let alone the world. And that's why I think we've seen this epidemic of, you know, boredom eating, emotional eating come up to surface for a lot of people right now, maybe, you know, more drinking than usual or self-sabotaging behaviors, because if we don't know how to cope with stress in healthy ways, and we don't know how to feel, feel emotions and, or, um, you know, take care of our own minds and bodies, then when situations that we don't like or that are out of our control happen, we freak out, we go to fear, fear's uncomfortable to feel. So I want to numb it whether I'm numbing with TV, food, wine, whatever it is, right? Like there's a difference between balance with those things. And then like just feeling completely powerless and I'm going on a ramp, but I just think it's so important because when we're out of our power, we're so much more easily influenced by things that actually aren't good for us versus when we're in our power, we can go, I want to make a you know decision here really for my greatest good, which is I'm not going to go buy another fad diet. I'm not going to just numb out right now with Netflix and food because I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm actually going to explore what's going on. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think it has come to a head through this sort of COVID time. And I think it's become a bit of a, an interesting uh, case study on um, emotional eating, stress eating. And I didn't really under, I didn't really notice it until I, um, on social media as with all, all things. And there was all these sort of joke memes going around about mm-hmm. COVID-15 and all those sorts yeah. of things. And like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to get in my bikini this summer. Cause I'm all COVID-15. And I just sort of scroll past cause we're all just sort of conditioned to that's always in your, in your face. And then, um, a friend of mine had posted, um, one of those memes on, on Facebook and said, can we stop this? Mm-hmm. Can we stop making jokes about a COVID-15 or, or the freshman 15 or whatever? Yeah. Like, just stop relating <laughs> every stressful mm-hmm. situation or change in environment. Um, and you gain a little bit of weight because um, things happen all the time yeah. and stop making it a thing because we're already dealing with a stressful situation enough. No one needs to be making jokes or sort of fat shaming people because yeah. they put on some weight during COVID. And I think that is such a societal norm now. All these yeah. sort of meme jokes about your bikini body and your 15 extra pounds and all this sort of stuff. But what I find most troubling about all of this is that, and and I saw this, and, and this is when it really sort of came to me in, because I don't have kids. I don't think any of us have kids, do we? Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I was at the mall and I think it was Chinook Center. And this was like three, four years ago. And there's, and I was waiting in line at, I think it's the, whatever the sushi place is, it's in the middle of the food court there, whatever it's called. Yeah. Anyway, there's a lady that was and her daughter and she was probably four or five years old and they were at the Yogan Fruits or something. Mm-hmm. And um, the little girl wanted Oreo cookies or something in her yogurt. And her mom said, oh no, like Susie, you don't need the the Oreo cookies in your thing. And like, we're at the yoga and fruits because it's healthier and you don't, you don't need the, the, the Oreo cookies. And I literally, <laughs> not like, and also just let the kid have her Oreo cookies. Like, and it was at that moment, I actually had to leave. Cause I was like, because all those things triggered me too, because mm. this is like, my mom was never like that, but this was like all those triggering things from when I was a kid of like, um, people commenting on things or saying things about me and you just feel so alone all of a sudden. And I just felt so alone for this little girl. And I had to like leave because I just felt I was going to be sick because everyone saw what happened or heard what happened. And this little girl now at four or five years old is now being made to feel awful because she wanted Oreo cookies and her yogurt fruits. And then her mom made it everyone else's issue. So where does that, like our own issues as women, when we become moms, yeah. we're now putting those issues on our kids. Like, yeah. Which is so, so unfortunate. Crazy. Well, yeah, yeah. And so like, I look back to my childhood and there's a couple things that, that stand out to me. Um, I have a really great relationship with my parents. They're wonderful people. And honestly, I feel like they just carried forward what they learned. I don't think they even knew they were doing it. But two things, my cousin and I both struggle with with eating. We struggled with eating disorders, to be frank, for most of our lives. 
Uh, for me, it's never been like the, the weight loss eating disorder. It's always been the weight gain eating disorder. So binge eating. Um, but one thing that we both kind of recognize that we think has been deleterious to us both is that whole concept of finish what's on your plate. You can't mm. leave the until you finish what's on your plate. Mm. And then you'll get rewarded with something sweet or something that you really want. And I, I look at my friends now who are parenting their children just because I think the paradigm has shifted and everything we're talking about has come more to light as being something that's very detrimental to a child at a young age. And I look at my friends and they don't force their children to eat everything. Their children eat until they're full and then they are allowed to leave the table. And then conversely, um, not forcing your, like, you know, teaching your child not about what's bad and what's good, but what's preferable and what's not essentially. So like, I know my friends, you know, they, they would feed their kids a lot of fruit and veg or they'd feed their kids what they were eating when they were, when they were able to eat uh, solids. Um, and then those kids went on to really love strawberries as a snack or mm-hmm. they'll sit there with, I have one friend, her kid sits there and just like eats avocado with a spoon. And it's like the cutest, most hilarious thing. And you say to, you say to her little girl, like, if you ever said to her little girl, like, do you want fries from McDonald's? Like she probably just wouldn't want them because she just doesn't really eat that stuff. But at the same time, if she ever said to my friend, I, I want to go to McDonald's, my friend would absolutely be like, okay, no worries. Like we can do that. Um, so it's really just like that whole restrictive theory and the intuitive eating theory. Like, I think those are the things we need to be teaching our kids when they're at their most vulnerable and when they're sponging up information. Um, but when we were all kids, I just feel like our parents didn't maybe know better. And then on top of that, my mom never forced her ideals on me by any stretch, but she was very obsessed with being thin. And she was always experimenting with laxatives and ways to make herself thin. She had, and she had some eating disorder issues where she, she would throw up or starve herself or whatever. And she just never really ate. Like I, I don't, I only really ever remember my mom consuming like muffins and cheese and crackers. Like she, she really restricted herself. So I think I just saw that happening and, and kind of thought like, well, if I want to be like beautiful, like my mom, cause my mom very much was like stunning. Um, and if I want to have that six pack, like her, you know, especially as I became a teenager, um, yeah, I, I really idolized how she looked. And then of course, uh, my mom was married three times and, besides my father, her last two husbands were absolute asshats and they would actually comment on my weight. So whether I was too thin or too heavy in their opinion, um, they would make really brutal comments to me. Like, do you really need to eat that apple? Or like, do you really think you're going to fit into your mom's mini skirt on your first day of this job interview? Really? You think so? Because pretty sure you're like four dress sizes bigger than her shit like that. Right. So as time went on, like in my, you know, teens, like when I was still very impressionable, I kind of learned that like, I have to look this way if I I want to be right. And then I went on to get into some interesting relationships where like, I very much changed myself to be with people. Um, And I got myself into some really toxic relationships. So it's, it's crazy how far back you have to dig into things to really understand the issues that you have with food. And your your image, right? So oh, for sure. And we have to remember that we're mirrors. So as we grow up, and we, you know, we're superficial with ourselves. So, like for example, you know, when I would date, and then in a superficial space, and then afterward, you know, when I gained weight, those people didn't want anything to do with me. You have to remember that when you're superficial, and then the external changes you're going to get heavy judgment, not only from yourself, but from others. Same with your mom, potentially like being her negative self-sabotaging relationship with herself. Well, of course she's attracting men who are judgmental and superficial and, and, and self-sabotage themselves. Like I attracted so many guys who had drinking problems when I had my food addiction. Like we are mirrors, we attract what we are. And so if we're, you know, going around thinking, Oh, why am I attracting these people? Why is this happening? You got to take a step back and be willing to look at yourself and go inside and going, what am I primarily focusing my energy on? What kind of thoughts and beliefs am I thinking about regularly? Like, where am I focusing? Because we attract that. I'm a huge believer in manifestation, the law of attraction. So if you're not happy with your external environment, what's going on around you, and you're not happy with yourself, you really have to go inside and do that deeper work. And I think that's another thing we're just not taught. So regardless of how we're 
raised and like what's around us, we're not taught how to explore, you know, managing stress in a healthy way. We're not taught how to deal with self-sabotaging behavior. We're not taught that we have an ego, the self-sabotaging mindset that takes over and goes, you're not good enough. You're not this, you're not this, you suck. Like you should be angry. You should be frustrated. Just go eat. And we're not taught what it feels like to take our power back and how to do so. We're not taught that you should just feel your emotions and express them. You're taught, oh, stop crying, stop blah, whatever it is, be strong. And so being that we're not taught what are such valuable, you know, core pieces of who we are with our mindset, our habits, behaviors, and our emotions, you know, and, and, and food is accessible everywhere. Like I'm all for the family tradition that like food brings people together because my background is Ukrainian. However, I think there's been a huge shift in like the food industry and our relationships with food over the last 50 to hundred years from that, like food brings everyone together and we can have this meaningful connection and enjoy the food but then move on and or not have it such negatively impact our physical state of health because the way they've altered food, especially over the last 50 years is significant. Like you never used to have genetically modified food, the level of pesticides and herbicides and chemicals that are sprayed into our food is exponential. The gluten content in wheat has increased 400% in the last 50 years. Like the way we don't even, you can't even begin to believe how our food has been altered. But when, when there's a company that literally makes a food product in a lab and makes it so that when you eat it, you get the perfect high and you produce the perfect amount of serotonin and dopamine to make you addicted to the food. Like, how are we supposed to navigate that if you have no idea? Right. And that's where a lot of people are is they just don't know. And they're like, well, I'm, I just can't stop eating this food or I have these cravings. And that's where I was like, I had no awareness of any of this before, you know, embarking on my journey at 21. Like I grew up learning, like, I love food. Food's my friend. I eat what tastes good. I don't eat what doesn't taste good. I know that there's like junk food and good food. However, I much prefer junk food because of the way it makes me feel. And I'm always craving it. And it was always available in our house. And there was never any limits on what I could eat and how often. And so after I'd had that first experience where the older boys call me ugly and fat and I really became very shy and I didn't want to have boys as friends. And my mom and I had a very emotional relationship with food growing up because she also still to this day has a food addiction and that got passed down from her mom. So my grandmother and then my great or her grandmother and then great grandmother from the depression and essentially partially where that came from is that lack that happened for them. And then they had nothing And then all of a sudden they wanted to hoard and keep everything. And when they got food, like it was that, that fear lack mentality. Right. Mm -hmm. And so not only are we potentially inheriting this from society and our families, but like potential generations of addiction or mentalities that just have not been addressed. Right. And so I remember when I used to go to the store and binge and I'd have my basket and I'd fill it up and I'd go, Oh my God, it, I better have enough. I, I, I don't think I have enough because if this is the last time I'm going to do this, I need to make sure I have enough. And, and when I started recognizing, I was saying that to myself, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what my mom always would say and talk about. And like the fridge would always be shoved full of food. And when I asked her like, why is there so much more food than we eat? There's just three of us. And like her other thing was like costume jewelry, just drawers and drawers and drawers full of costume jewelry. She's like, well, my parents and grandparents didn't have anything when they were younger. And like, I want to make up for what they didn't have. And maybe what I didn't have as a child. And just seeing that, I was like, Oh my God, like, no wonder I have this like similar mentality, especially with food. Um, and I oh, think, you know, you just get to this. Why. <laughs> like it, yeah. just, it strikes such a chord with me. Just like that, especially your story to interrupt, but just like that's okay. about the basket, you know, like, yeah, because I've been there so many times and man, like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's someone I, else think, say it. I think what was most, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, we can all go back into how we were raised and all that kind of stuff. But what I found most interesting, what you're, what you were saying, because this is a bit of been a, um, something that I have been most concerned and dealing with in the last five years, I would say, um, I got really sick about 10 years ago and I won't get into the, the why and whatever. So I always have this mental block in my head and I lost a ton of weight really quickly before they could figure out what was, what was wrong with me. And so I always have this mental block now that, that losing weight means getting sick. Mm. And so I've done a lot of stuff in the last five years about, 
um, about the, the genetically modified food and the herbicides and all that kind of stuff. And what I find most troubling about what we're seeing through society is because um, corn and soy are so heavily subsidized as uh, agricultural products, especially in the States, that corn and soy are in everything. So high fructose corn syrup mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So all the cheap food, all the cheap junk food and the, um, all the stuff that basically, um, and this is, I guess, more of an American example because we don't have food stamps in Canada, but the same sort of deal that people who are um, less privileged and have lower incomes and are poor um, are much more likely to be eating process, heavily processed like junk food because it's so cheap. Yeah. And I think as a society, we've really, like if you go to the, any, any grocery store, you can buy a two liter bottle of pop for the same amount as one green pepper. Like this is where we are is the world, right? And so we have this massive obesity problem and a lot of it is, and especially if you look in America, um, people of color and lower income people, because that's what they can afford to buy. Mm -hmm. And you can go afford to buy six bags of chips or, or one, um, one apple or four apples. Like what are you going to spend your money on? Right. So I think with all of these advancements in these like um, modified foods and, and really changing how we're eating and directing those at the, at the people who, who have the least amount of power to make any changes, we've really created our own issues around what's, what's, what's real and what isn't. And then you see, especially on social media, sort of that high level of privilege sort of talking down to those people because it's like, well, you're fat because you're eating all this junk food and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. it's like, yeah, because that's what they can afford. Yeah. yeah. There's so much judgment and stigmatism around anyone who's overweight, whether it's, you yeah. know, someone who doesn't make a lot of money and can't afford and or whoever, because, you know, what we have to remember is there's been such a stigma put on, oh, you're overweight. Oh, you must be lazy and just sit on your couch and eat chips and cake all day, which is not the case at all. And that was a huge eye opener for me as I went through my food addiction. Cause at my heaviest, when I had gained about 60 pounds, I was like, I'm not like, oh my God, I bet you people are judging me and thinking that I'm just this lazy fat person. And that I just sit at home and eat. And yes, I was sitting at home and binging. However, like it started to make me realize oh my goodness, when someone's in this place, there is deep insecurity, there's deep self-hatred, potentially they've been through trauma or really negative experiences or something that has happened to them that has hurt them so deeply, or somebody has told them something that just hit them to such a core that they feel the need to protect themselves. And that's really what weight is and, and weight gain is, is this primal instinct that our body has from the caveman days. Like we've had this in our blueprint forever, but again, society has, has found a way to spin it on us and make it be a negative. And, and, and so, you know, what I really learned and what I teach to my clients is when your body puts on protection, your body doesn't feel safe. And so let's take a step back and explore what are the potential reasons why she doesn't feel safe. You know, so some of the most common things I see are things like past traumas or negative experiences that people have gone through. They don't feel safe and they haven't worked through it maybe. And so they, they protect by holding on to the weight, right? You have to think of it like fight or flight um, stress response. When you're out in the woods and you see a bear, your body puts you in fight or flight to protect you and you produce more cortisol to help you run away and protect yourself. However, in modern day, we're having all sorts of stress responses. It's like there's a bear circling us 24 seven. And so our hormones are out of whack, which can make us hang on to protection and make it very difficult to let go of it. We have more inflammation. Our digestion is out of whack. The food is definitely a part of it. Unhealthy relationships of food. So from binging to restriction, to emotional eating, to, you know, you know, I only can eat 900 calories a day and chronic dieting and over-exercising, you know, and then you have the negative self-talk, which is a huge piece. Like your thoughts, your cells listen to your thoughts. Like I've studied this, go check out Dr. Bruce Lipton. He is like the godfather of all of this, but it's not our genes anymore. Like, you know, it's, they put on us, oh, it's your genes. So if your family's big, you're going to be big. If your family's had this, you have this. Yeah. To some extent, there may be some alignment there, but 
what he's talking about now is that we have the ability to shift our set, like our body to a cellular level. So I think that's so important because when someone is in a very heavy negative self-talk with themselves and they're always putting themselves down and they're, you know, calling themselves fat or ugly or whatever it is on a regular basis, you have to recognize that negative self-talk, your body sees that as a stress response. So now all of a sudden your mind and body are battling with each other. Mm-hmm. So when you say something negative, your body goes stress response. Oh my gosh, there's a threat. And so your body produces more cortisol, which is your stress hormone. Okay. And the more of that you produce from not only the self-talk, but all these other potential things as they accumulate, you're just constantly producing more and more cortisol. And the more that that happens, you become more inflamed. You retain more water. Okay. That's when your metabolism can slow because your hormones are just like, oh my gosh, like we're so overwhelmed and we can't keep, keep up with all of this. And that's, you know, when you throw the emotional eating in there and the restriction and just other stressors that you're experiencing that it's like, well, no wonder all of a sudden the last priority for the body becomes weight loss and then, and pregnancy as well for women. Like a lot of women who struggle to get pregnant, if you really took a deep dive, there's probably like significant levels of reasons why it's just that we're not understanding. Okay. Well, let's look at this whole picture. It's like, oh, here's some stuff, take Mm -hmm. this. And, you know, and that's fine if that's the route people go, but we don't spend enough time dissecting and understanding all the potential reasons why we could be hanging on to protection. And instead we just judge, put a label on someone and go, yep, sucks to be them or whatever that is. And it's like, no, like you have no idea. And I had all these things going on for me when my body would hang on. And it was so funny because it was every time after I was in a relationship that ended that once I got like thin enough that I wanted to date and then I'd get in the relationship and get hurt. And then I'd put on the protection. Cause I'm like, I don't want to get hurt again. And I didn't even realize that like, this was subconsciously going on in my head. Right. So I, I wanted to explain this whole protection thing though, because I hope that it helps others, especially women know, like get curious. I, I know what it feels like to fight with your body and it's not fun and it's frustrating to keep failing. However, take a step back and ask yourself, why may I be needing to protect with this, this layer of padding, right? And just explore it and see if you're open to that. And, you know, if you've been someone who's been struggling with it for a really long time, like maybe it's time to get that help and just support to really understand. But it's, it's never just because, you know, it's not meant for you in this lifetime and like you just have bad genes or blah, blah, blah. And no, that's also limiting, our bodies are always trying to heal. It's just that we are getting in the way in our mind, our ego. Oh, ego. So true. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Our ego I mean, how many times have you been in a, in a change room and you can't bring yourself to go up a size in pants? It's like, no, I'm going to fit in my, like be size 10 because I'm always a size 10 and I'm not going to buy a size 12 or whatever it is. Right. And it's like that ego thing. It's like, no, I can't possibly. Yeah. I'm going to shove my, it's like, we can't even like deal with our own, um, of issues of like thinking that like the number on the pair of pants is the problem. And the irony of that is that when people do that and they buy smaller clothes, like to force them to be motivated or they go, you can't be the smaller size. You're actually making your body feel unsafe and uncomfortable, which will increase your chances of hanging onto that protection or putting more on. And that's why when I start working with my clients and they go, Oh, I really don't want to get that bigger size. I'm like, let's walk through surrendering, get the bigger size because you're going to feel safer. And in the long run, it's going to help you let go of the protection. If there's any to let go of, because you are not making your body feel uncomfortable and rejecting her because she isn't that size right now. And it's powerful when they let go of the past and let go of, you know, that old paradigm and are willing to do that. Mm -hmm it's like something shifts in their mindset and they feel safer. And then that helps them to build the confidence versus wearing clothes that are too tight. Like when has that ever been fun? Like, well, it sucks. I've stopped stopped doing that a long time ago. And, um, I have a really amazing girlfriend. Um, she's, she's, her parents are from Italy and they own a restaurant here in Calgary. And I actually learned how to cook because my family is kind of a bunch of munji cakes, what we would call like fake Italians. Like none of us are like, we're pretty far removed from our family that lived in Italy, but we still have that tradition. But anyways, long story short, uh, my girlfriend, Diana, and I'm going to call her out here. She is the most body positive, like self-accepting love, like loves her friends for who we are, has never 
ever made me feel like she only loves me because of how I look or dress. She she loves me the most when I'm being totally myself. In fact, she actually mm-hmm. gets kissy with me when I'm <laughs> myself. And that's been a thing since grade eight. So the other day she was here uh, after I got divorced, actually. So this was like, not the other day, this was like two years ago. And we were unpacking my new apartment. It was my first place by myself ever. So like, I like really was coming into my own with a lot of different things. And she was putting some clothes away in my closet and she's like, Oh, this is cute. I'm going to try it on. And she's just like, you know, and what I would want to call like a normal female, like with a normal body, like she's not too skinny. She's not like, she, she just loves herself and she's the way she is. And I've just always known her that way. And she goes to put on the dress and she's like, Holy shit, Dakota. When were you ever, ever this small? Because like this dress, like, I don't ever remember you being this small. And I'm like, what? That's like one of my fat dresses. Mm. Like, that's like one of the dresses I would wear when I was bigger. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're kidding. I'm like, no. She, and she's like, girl, you need to start embracing the mediums and the larges. <laughs> like, just <laughs> next time you buy a shirt, like, don't get the extra small. She's like, because one, I love you, but it just doesn't fit your body. And, mm-hmm. and that's okay. And two, you've never been this small. God, I don't want to see you this small ever again. Cause frankly, this scares the living shit out of me. And it was hilarious. And then I like, we went through all my clothes and realized the amount of clothes that I had that were like extra small, extra, extra small and small that like did not make sense for my body type because invariably, whether I'm like 105 pounds or 160 pounds, like I'm just really curvy. And so like this stuff just doesn't work for my body. And it's like, when did I ever think in my head that these were the types of clothes that I needed to be wearing. And it all stemmed back to toxic relationships and being told what I needed to look like and having this own, this, my own mindset of what I needed to look like. And it was like a terrifying, but very cool wake up call. Mm -hmm. And I've since gotten rid of a lot of that crap and, and reinvested in, in clothing that fits my body. And I'll tell you, like I walk out my door with something that I know fits my body properly and that I've chosen to fit me in a way that I'm comfortable Mm -hmm. and I get nothing but compliments. Dakota, you look so happy. You look glowing. I've never seen you so gorgeous, but just like in yourself, like Mm -hmm. nothing to do really with the aesthetics, but more just the, the personality, the confidence, that kind of thing. Well, it's your energy. When you feel good in your body and you exude that, people pick up on your positive energy, your happiness, your joy, your confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's where I always say, um, just because someone and and not to have any shame or like that that people are naturally petite or thin are unhealthy because there are a lot of women who just naturally like their mother is quite small than they are, whatever, for whatever the reasons are, but you know, just because you see a really, to what society is labeled, beautiful woman who looks like she's got the perfect body and the perfect outfit and all that stuff. But if she is insecure and she's hunched and she looks fearful or has a look of like, don't freaking look at me or I'm going to like rip your head off on her face. You're not drawn to that person. You're like, I'm going to not even like, I'm going to walk really far around that person. But if you see somebody who maybe is more curvy or whatever it is, but they're smiling and they have this vibe of just like, I'm here, like, come, you know what I mean? Like you want to be around them and and that's the energy. And that's why it's so important to do that inner work because at the end of the day, the clothing size, the number on the scale, it really honestly shouldn't mean what we've made it mean today. Every clothing brand makes things a bit different. Like so, you know, yeah. I'm all sorts of different sizes when it comes to different brands, but I don't care. I'm like, I just want to, if I like it and I feel like it's something I want, I don't care what the size is. Like, I'm just, I want it because I like it and it, it's part of my personality, but we've made it mean like the smaller, the size, the more worthy you are, or like the, you know, whatever that is. And so I think it's so important that we stop attaching so much deep meaning to those things yet though come back to this aspect of if you deep down in your deepest knowing go, you know what? I don't feel quite myself. I don't feel like my hormones are working properly. I don't feel like my cycle is the where I want it to be. I don't feel like I'm at this place of health. I don't feel like I'm at this place with my relationship with food and my body. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get help 
to help you get to the place where you feel really good, you feel confident. And if, if that also means that some weight loss happens, that's okay. But it's not like I need to lose weight to be happy and have everything be perfect. Weight equals health. Weight does not equal health. It is a part of the health picture. Because the other thing that I also observe in women is I'm all for the body positivity movement, 100%. It's so needed and we need to love ourselves at every size. However, I also believe that if we're continually putting on a lot of weight and protection, there's stuff that we need to address because it can impact our health too, right? Like, so yeah. I'm, I'm all for the body positivity. I also think though we need to keep our health in check. And if at some point we're not dealing with something within ourselves that's constantly making us gain and gain and gain, like we have to go, this is my one of my body's ways of communicating with me am I open to trying to figure out what the heck is going on as to why I'm uncontrollably losing weight? And for me, something that happened was after I, you know, finished binge eating and, and started to um, understand what was triggering me to emotionally eat and started to get into a very intensive, deep, loving self-care routine and catching the negative self-talk and really learning self-love. I stopped binging. However, this comes to that whole, like five years balancing my hormones and digestion. I still had a limiting, limiting belief, which was I need to exercise to maintain or lose weight. I really had it so ingrained in me. And here, that's another one that society has, right? You need to exercise to burn calories. And so here I am not binging. I'm going to the gym three or four days a week. I'm gaining weight. And so I'm, I'm, I'm loving myself. However, I'm like, what the f- is going on? Like, why all of a sudden did I go from what feels like kind of my normal, I feel like we all have a set point and it just felt like that place. And all of a sudden now I'm back up to the weight that I was at full peak of binging, you know, 180 pounds. And I'm going, there's something going on. And so for me, it wasn't like, oh my God, I've gained weight. Now I'm not happy with myself. That's actually when I fully accepted and learned to love myself was at that peak again, something clicked within me. And I was just like, if this is where my body needs to be, I fully love and accept. And I'm going to go and buy all new clothes that feel really good for me at this place. And it was a very powerful moment. However, I knew something wasn't right. And I think that's where we need to learn how to tune in and listen to our bodies and go, I don't think something is right. And so I... I delved more into my hormones and realized my cortisol was five times higher than it was supposed to be. That's That can cause a lot of different health issues long-term not dealt with. And it was making my body more inflamed and I was hanging on to a lot of water retention. Then I discovered what happens when your cortisol goes really high, that's that stress hormone. And I had that adrenal fatigue is if, if it if it stays high for quite a long period of time, it will start to steal other hormones to convert into cortisol to keep you functioning. So for women, the first thing that can happen is it can steal progesterone to turn into cortisol and then your progesterone drops and my progesterone is really low. I, my cycle would be sporadic and I, my doctor just kept saying, oh, that's normal. Don't worry about it. Just, you didn't get a period this month. Like, good for you. It's Isn't it nice to just not have it? And I'm going, just that doesn't feel right. And then I furtherly did some other saliva testing and discovered my estrogen was like 10 times higher than it was supposed to be. So I had this estrogen dominance picture. My thyroid was under functioning, hence why I was exhausted, right? And I was like 25 at the time. I should not be exhausted. But it was so fascinating because once I had trusted my gut and gone, okay, I can accept the weight gain. However, I just don't think this is right for me. My body's trying to communicate with me. And I, my body took me on this journey with this communication of the weight gain of like, hey, there's stuff going on with your hormones. Here's my way to try and show you. And I got, she got my attention and through it, doing all this investigation, I'm like, no wonder I've gained all this weight. My cortisol's through the roof, my thyroid's in the gutter and my estrogen's too high. And if, if you have any of this picture going on, you can gain weight so easily, even if you're eating well, exercising and sleeping well. So the reason I wanted to share that is because I don't really think our body just puts on a lot of protection for no reason. It's a communication to try and go, Hey, there's things going on. Do you have my attention? And once I balanced my hormones, I quit the gym actually. Cause I was like, screw this. It's, <laughs> it's not working. I want to challenge that limiting belief. I quit the gym. I focused on resting and, and gentle self-care, like meditation and stuff like that. It just fell off. Like as my hormones balanced, it fell off. I didn't have to do anything except love my body and nurture her to see the protection come off. And so I hope that helps with that whole like body positivity. Great. However, if your body is speaking to you and you don't think something is right, investigate it until you get the answers you need, because it's not normal. Like I was just like, what the heck is going on? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. 
That is crazy. But you know what? Um, that is a good place to end. We are at our time, <laughs> which is actually because I, 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 like, yeah, I, I think that's the that's that's a great place to end. Because it's you're talking about listening to your body, and I think um what I will say is that for anybody who wants more information, uh, you can find Amber at amberapprove.ca. We'll put that in the uh, show notes as well. So you can go check out Amber and all her information. And if you have any questions or you're feeling just not right, or you want to talk to someone, Amber is the awesome person. Obviously you've heard through this episode that she knows her stuff. And I like the fact that um, first of all, she's super approachable. This is the first time Dakota and I've met her and I feel like, no, she's my girlfriend and I just want to tell her <laughs> yeah. everything. Um, which is kind of the person that you want to go talk to about this kind of stuff because yeah. it is very personal and intimate, mm-hmm. like the things you have to go through in this process. So to have somebody um, be non-judgmental, but also very supportive and friendly about it, I think is fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us today. We so appreciate it. And I hope we can have you on again. And um, uh, Amber also has her own podcast. So uh, we'll put that in the show notes too, but um, go check out her podcast, the No Sugarcoating It podcast, which is a fantastic name, by the way. Thank you. So, um, and uh, another awesome Calgary lady. So we are so glad to have you and thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for having me. So it's been a pleasure. Happy to do part two anytime. Yes, we will <laughs> definitely do that. Totally. Thanks for listening to Ladies Who Launch with Dakota and Alyssa. We drop new episodes every other Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating.